Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We are here. It's a nighttime recording. <laughs> we always have to call it out at the top. And not only that, I, I want to be perfectly upfront with you because, uh, dear listener, we're recording two episodes tonight. It's yeah. already 8.30 where I am. So we're going to see how this goes. Yeah. So this is going to be released. If you needed any audio proof that we're in our early 30s, that whole sentence <laughs> was it. <laughs> it is a Friday night at 830 and we're doing more than one thing. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Called out. Oh, my God. That's no, OK. I think the thing for me is that this is going to be released over the course of two weeks. Yes. Consider it in some ways one mega episode because i think you'll be able to hear what the night is doing to us over the course of this recording session <laughs> yeah. that's my that's my, i'm calling it at the top that's my yeah. feeling about this i think part two might be the audio equivalent of wing dings you know where just like this is nothing this <laughs> means nothing but we're gonna do our best yeah if we both haven't changed our legal names by the end of the second episode we fucked up somewhere what's kind of fun is that unconsciously we have split up the lineup here that this episode is a little bit more you and the next one is more me. It's We're true. sort of doing a love below. Oh, hell yeah. What was the, what was, uh, in case boys? you needed more proof or in our early thirties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hey, remember, remember, Hey, y'all uh, back on the radio, you know, we were buying DVDs. I liked roses more. <laughs> <laughs> speaker box, love below and speaker box. Yeah. You got it. Anyway. <laughs> very excited for this so gaming so gaming take us in brendan this is your love below uh what are we, yeah. what are we opening with have you seen what andre 3000 is doing these days what's he up to he's like a multi-instrumentalist and he plays a bunch of wind instruments now and he's like releasing an album of like like ambient wind instrumentals and it honestly rocks it sounds amazing that's awesome i would recommend yeah. looking it up he's such a talented dude oh yeah unbelievable and i'm glad he's like back and publicly making stuff again even if it's not what people want i think people don't know what they want until they get it and i didn't know i wanted an album of andre three stacks playing wind instruments anyway i'm talking about balatro it's a great <laughs> new video game i want i want to be clear up front i was planning on bringing this game to the show already because at the time of this recording steam next fest uh was happening i think it actually ended like an hour ago when we when we started recording but the demo was out the second time they released the demo the first time they released the demo i didn't know a single person talking about this game except for friend of the show host of can't let it go also on our network twg the worst garbage at online matt horton was really talking up a storm about balatro's demo he chose it as his game of the year the demo for this yes. game was his game of the year yes so balatro has been on my radar since that but the demo went away it came back again for steam next fest i downloaded it on my steam deck i made a promise i think on last week's episode maybe on the air maybe just to you i don't remember it doesn't matter they feel the same in some ways uh i tell everyone whatever you tell me so. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same i wanted to play the steam deck a little bit more this week yeah. that was kind of my big thing because I, I just had this realization that i hadn't picked it up in like months and i've been like considering maybe selling it or something like i didn't know i was I, it just it felt like it was going to solve all my problems and then just kind of didn't. So I, it I came wanted out around the same time you really entered your retro handheld era. Yes, because we got Steam Decks largely 
to be able to play PC only games. Right. Because that's been and still is in some ways our biggest blind spot. Uh, but then you met the Norse gods uh, and, and got all your different handhelds, which yes. I think took the spotlight. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, th- I think I, I wanted the Steam Deck to be like the one retro handheld to rule them all. It's just too big for that. Like I just can't like bring it with me on a lot of trips and stuff. So it ended up not being that. And then also it's not powerful enough to run all the stuff I want to play. Like one of the games I actually checked out this week that I, I, I will shout out because I do want to play more of it and I will bring it to the show eventually is Enshrouded, which is a like new, huge, everybody seems to love it, blowing up all over the place, early access, like survival crafting game, which I know I have in a recent episode dunked on the idea of like punching a tree to get a bunch of wood to make a crafting table. But like I played the first couple hours of that game and it's the first time maybe since Minecraft came out that I was excited to punch a tree to get a bunch of wood to make a crafting <laughs> table. Um, that yeah. game is great. It just... I'm sorry, looks really bad on the Steam Deck. It runs really well and plays really great. It just looks very bad because all the settings are literally at the minimum. Um, so I want to find a better way to play that. And I think I figured one out. And that's going to take me a couple of weeks to figure it out and bring it back to the show. But that said, that's the issue I keep having with the Steam Deck is like a game like Entrouded blows up and I go to check it out. I'm like, I even me, somebody who doesn't really care that much about the way a game looks, if it's fun, I'll play it, was like, I, I actually don't like looking at this. Yeah. Uh, so I put it down. But the Steam Deck is great for certain kinds of games, a couple of which I'm going to talk about today some of which will be in the next episode, Balatro being one of them. I was going to bring this game to the show. This is a really roundabout way of saying this. I was going to bring this game to the show because of the demo. Literally yesterday, we got an email that included review codes for this game. So I do have a code for the full thing. I just want to make that clear up front. Uh, we were provided code for this game, the full version of it. I will be honest. I don't know the difference between what was in the demo and what's in the full game. The demo is so beefy and includes so much and allows you to play so much of this game. I actually don't know where the line is between where the demo ends and the rest of the game begins. But that said, it's a game I started playing on my Steam Deck. We got code for Steam and Switch. I started playing it on the Switch to see how it runs on there. Runs amazingly. Would recommend on both platforms. I think it's also coming out for Xbox and PlayStation. What is Balatro? I'm sure you're wondering because we're already so deep into this. Balatro is a deck building roguelike game that is specifically built on top of poker. It is not like a Slay the Spire, Monster Train, Griftlands, sci-fi fantasy aesthetic. You're not, you know, climbing this endless tower. There's no real like story that's looping you into why you're playing Balatro. It is like a pretty cut and dry deck building roguelike game. Uh, the whole deal is every single time uh, you are given, you know, a, a set like a hand of cards as if you were playing poker, you need to figure out what kind of poker hands you can make. There's a very, I don't know how to play poker at all, dear listener and dear Steven. I don't know poker at all. Uh, but there's, if you press the minus button on the switch, it pops up a little thing that's like, here's what the hands are. This is what a royal flush is. Here's what a straight is. Two of a kind. You can get two of a kind and then three of a kind or something like that. Like there's a bunch of different hands you can make. Um, and you just look at the hand that you've been dealt and you say, can I make any hands out of this? And you select whatever cards make that hand and then you submit it and then you get points for that. You can also take a bunch of cards that are in your hand. I think there's seven cards. I might be wrong about that. I think there's seven cards in your hand at any given time. You can take some cards from your hand. You can discard them and you get new cards based on that. And you try and make hands. The roguelike twist of this and the reason this game went from like, I don't know if I get this to suddenly all I want to do is play this all the time and probably will be on my Cody list by the end of the year because I'm going to play this game so fucking much. When you make these hands of poker, 
each card represents the amount of points you're going to get. So like if you have a two of a kind and it's two nines, that's 18 points. Those 18 points have a multiplier factor that's always just kind of sitting on the left. And that is usually just set at two. Like the baseline is like whatever, whatever you get, whatever points you get in a hand, just multiplied by two. But as you continue to quote unquote, like beat levels of Balatro, where they will say, okay, you need to get 300 points in six hands. You have six hands that you, you need to make. And by the end of those six hands, you need to have made, you know, you have to have 300 points. If you can beat that, they send you to a shop, like you get paid out, they send you to a shop. And at the shop, you get to buy a bunch of things. Some of them are Joker cards. Joker, I know this is wild, the further in we get. It's hard to describe via an audio medium, but just hear, hear me out. Yeah. When you buy a Joker card, I think they said it's like 200 plus variations of what a Joker card does. These are just passive buffs that you get, and you can have five of them at any time. So you just pick a Joker card. One, for example, might be like any hand you make that has diamonds in it increases the multiplier score by eight, right? And then you just have that, and that'll just be there forever if you buy that from the shop. Another one might be like every time you get a straight, it increases your multiplica- it increases your multiplier by another point. So if you get a straight and then you get another straight and then you get another straight and you get another straight, suddenly every time you make a hand, if even if it's a straight or not, you will always have like a plus five multiplier. And then if you get another straight, it'll be a plus six multiplier from that point on, et cetera, et cetera. These Joker cards are so varied and so weird and so fun. I, like I just had one recently that was like, anytime you have a hand with diamonds in it, it increases your multiplication of your points by two and will change the suit of those two cards in your deck forever and will also change what suit you need to get this buff forever so it'll be diamonds on this round but then if you match some diamonds it'll be like okay next time it has to be spades next time it has to be hearts whatever whatever but it's also literally changing the cards in your 52 deck of cards which is wild so you can get joker cards those are great there's also you're gonna love this tarot cards the tarot cards are are, uh, yes i know (laughs) they're items you can use and they will do things like making cards uh that would normally be like kind of boring i don't know like a five i don't know why five sounds boring to me but like it's a little boring it's a little boring if you get like a five you could be like okay i'm gonna take this five and the tarot card is like pick one card from your deck turn it into a card made of steel if you have that card in your hand at, at the end of like submitting a hand that you have and you're like retaining that steel card, it'll just multiply everything by five, for example. And the tarot cards also just have like a wild amount of possibilities. They also have all of these other cards that are spectral cards, which will like modify your deck in a pretty big way. There are all of these like passive positive and negative buffs. I just got a spectral card uh, recently. They have like these booster packs you can buy in the in the shop also which like you rip them open and it's like you have to use one of these cards immediately and like whatever effect it has on your deck will fuck you up or maybe help you and i got one where it was like okay pick any of the cards in your hand it will either make that card better or make all of the cards worse (laughs) and i gave it a shot because i just i want to try everything because i'm you know in the early stages of falling deeply in love with a roguelite and it just changed all of the cards of which there were like aces and kings and tens and all these high value cards changed them all to twos so then i just suddenly had seven twos shuffled back into my deck which at first i was like oh i just got fucked like that's not good for me and then suddenly i kept making hands where i had five twos and i was like this shouldn't even be possible but now i'm crushing it and that ended up being (laughs) the best run i've ever had because that missed what i thought was a mistake happened right at the top of a run balatro 
I think is not super difficult, which I really appreciate considering how much it's leaning on a game that I don't know anything about, but is a game that I think learning the ins and outs of separate from the poker of it all is going to be exhilarating. Like the idea of the 200 plus combinations of jokers, sorry, the 200 plus jokers times the five you can have at any given time, plus the modifiers that allow you to sometimes have more or less jokers in your hand, et cetera, et cetera, is exhilarating. There's also very similar to, um, oh my God, what is that game on iPhone? Solitarica, um, which is a roguelite based on solitaire, which if you haven't played, it's one of the best games released on a mobile phone ever. It's also on Android, but it's a roguelite based on solitaire. There are different classes of decks So in Solitarica, you could get different classes that would be like, okay, you're playing Solitaire, but this is like a mage class. So anytime you get a face card, it'll like do a spell on whatever enemy you're fighting or whatever. Um, In this case, it's very simple because they're, again, just trying to keep the aesthetic like pretty clean. So it's just like there's a red deck of cards. So all the backs are red. And what that means is every single time you beat a level of Balatro, you get one extra hand that you can make on the next runs going forward. So you start off with five, the next time you have six, the next time you have seven, and it just makes it easier to play the game overall. You also have a limited amount of discards in in a given run. The next deck you unlock after the first one is a blue deck, and that just makes it so you increase the amount of discards you can have as you continue to win levels. So it's kind of, I think it's a little bit of like an easy hard mode, and I imagine the further in I get, the more interesting decks there will be. Um, Feels a little bit like Dicey Dungeons in that way, where it's like you continue to unlock like different modifiers at the beginning that'll make your runs feel a little bit different. But I also think one of the things that works for me is it just kind of changes the way I'm playing or allows me to lean into a way I'm already playing. Like, I'm not a person who discards a lot. I, I've learned about myself the more I've played this game. So I kind of appreciate the idea of just like saying, okay, I just get more chances to make hands. So I can just play a shitty hand this time just to wipe out my deck a little bit and just be able to shuffle some uh, better stuff in in case I can make some better stuff. That really works for me. I like it a lot. Overall, I just think this game fucks. I like it a lot. <laughs> I'm going to play it so much. And I think you should too. It's great. It's very good. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to it. I, I somehow haven't yet. But I think what's interesting is that you mentioned like at the top, you're like, there isn't like a quest or there aren't like monsters or whatever. And yeah. to me, that speaks to the confidence of the design where it's like you can just sort of, I don't want to say just have a variation on poker because it sounds more involved than that. But it's like really no frills in terms of what the game is about or like trying to like I think sometimes deck builders can be built backwards where it's like you might think of the aesthetic and the mm-hmm. pitch of it before you think of the central design. Yeah, I played deck builders where I'm really drawn in by the aesthetic and then the game actually starts and I'm like, what? Like it just, It's like too many rules or like, you know, I think uh, I, I really loved Magic the Gathering back in the day, but I feel like some elements of, of later magic design I see like ripple out into deck builders. And like when you have too many terms right off the top of like, you know, every time you play this, it will get electric. And then you have to look up what that yeah, even means. Like totally. that's where I think it's really hard to get a new player on board. And it sounds like this is using a game that a lot of people are familiar with, but it sounds like even if if you're not, you will fundamentally understand the sort of like base rules of the game before it gets wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, when I first started playing, I was leaning more towards like, OK, get two of a kind, get three of a kind. because That's the most obvious thing, I think, for somebody who doesn't play poker at all. Like, yeah, if I see two twos, I know that that's good. Uh, if I see <laughs> two aces, I know that that's better. And over time, 
the more I played, the more I've become confident in like, oh, I'm pretty close to getting a straight here. So I might as well, you know, even though I have a pair of fives here, maybe I can get rid of one of those fives. So that means I can get a six and finish this straight. Like those are the decisions I'm getting to make, which is how poker works. And I think in a lot of ways, again, like you were just saying, speaks to the confidence of like, oh, yeah, there is something kind of roguelikey in a way about the act of playing poker. And it fits very well into this structure. And then as soon as you add the like mysticism on top of that, right, with the the Joker cards and the planetary cards and the and the um like ethereal cards and the and the tarot cards and stuff, it suddenly becomes this like fully fleshed, completely new thing built on the skeleton of something else that already kind of fit well in that structure. And uh, I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's like a it's a brilliant video game. I'm really excited for it. I actually had a weird like fleeting era for poker in my life. Did you? Yeah. Like my freshman year of high school, poker weirdly became very popular, specifically Texas Hold'em. Oh, so yeah. like I had a group of friends who played every Friday and uh, I did pretty well, mostly because no matter what I had, I always laughed. So like I had the opposite of a poker face where That's I great. was always smiling and laughing, but no one knew what to make of it. Cause like he either, and I also, <laughs> I always went all in. So like people were just like, I don't know, I don't know what to believe with Steven. I'm just, I'm just going to call it here. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So it was fun. We we put in like $10. So like there was like a bit of a financial incentive, but it wasn't anything like crazy. We were also 14. So like, yeah, I was going to, but, uh, but $10 when you're 14 is $10 when you're 14. And the prospect of like get walking out of a house with more than $20. is like, I could buy a video game. It's exhilarating. Yeah. Twilight Princess comes out in two years. I'm ready <laughs> for it. <laughs> I'm almost all the way there. Exactly. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to play it's so good it's so good um i think the time that this episode comes out it will have come out yesterday so it is available i would recommend checking it out it's called balatro and i like it a lot and expect to hear me talk about it and maybe play it on stream or make a video i would love to watch you stream this it sounds like a fun game to watch yeah, yeah i think i think it would make for a really good what is video for a youtube channel um yeah. especially to like dive in a little bit more into some of the like the nitty-gritty mechanics i think my one my one thing that i'll say i think there's one critique that i do need to bring up is like i just think the controls are a little bit more finicky than i would like them to be mm. there's there's some things where i like i don't quite know how to navigate menus to get to where i want very easily that's also a thing that will go away the more you play as with all roguelike and roguelites like the more you play them the more that stuff becomes innate and you don't need to think about it anymore it's like astral ascent where we both kind of like yes had issue with this sort of like very nitpicky but like when you compare it to something like hades yeah just pulling inspiration from you look at your boon you push one button you've chosen your boon right astral ascent it's like a little bit too many steps and it can throw off a new player but once you know you know yeah and then it becomes amazing yeah ex exactly so that's battle true let's take a break <laughs> i'm out i'm folding i got no money left i'm 14 i'm gonna go hang out with your friend's dad while you all continue playing bye bye the next zelda is not gonna be a kitty game <laughs> i'm sick of he's a teen like me well, it's like gilbert godfrey i'm sick of this baby art style all right see you soon hello we're back hi I hope you're having a good time. <laughs> Sometimes I trust you're going to lead the way. <laughs> we were just talking in the break. Sometimes people ask us to like release the unedited 
recordings of this show. I think the only thing that ever happens that you would actually want to hear to your listener is what happens when we're not recording. And I think in this, I just want to shout out in the break, which was maybe 45 seconds total. We did have a little mini conversation about that 14 year old that we just invented somehow (laughs) being psychic and knowing two years in advance of twilight princess was coming out even before it was announced which i do think is very and funny. not using his psychic powers for poker which he just <laughs> lost <laughs> what an ill-fated teen if i had to describe my energy in high school that's probably it a psychic kid who didn't use like an obvious like obvious use case for his powers and was like zelda's coming out in two years you want to talk about other video games i would love to okay Here's one. Uh, I was I was texting a friend of the show, co-host of the Besties, Chris Plant, uh, this morning, and uh, I was just was just talking about a Balatro. I was like, "Hey, you should play this video game." Uh, and two Hell Divers two, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But he brought up. Sorry for reading your text message on the air, Chris Plant. But he said, "I'm currently and inexplicably obsessed with Deep Rock Galactic Survivor, a game I had not heard of." And I was like, "I need to see what this is." Uh, Deep Rock Galactic. I do know what that is. Deep Rock Galactic is a game that I did not get into, um, but is a first-person like cooperative mining game uh, where mm. you're a bunch of like space dwarves and you need to mine and get a bunch of valuable resources out of these like horrific mines that are overrun by aliens and stuff. So it's like a little bit left for dead and a little bit Minecraft. And you're just like trying to kind of score chase and not die left for Steve left for Steve. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Oh my God. Thank you. It's great. It's, it's great. Everyone says it's great. I haven't played it. I have not had that experience. I've heard great things though. Deep Rock Galactic Survivor. I just assumed when he texted me, that was like some kind of DLC or something. What I did not expect Stephen Hilger is uh, that it's basically vampire survivors. Oh, wow. By the people that make Deep Rock Galactic, but in the world of Deep Rock Galactic. And I didn't really know if that was interesting to me, but I was like, I'll give it a shot. It's, I think, $10, which is, I think, the, you know, it's eight more dollars than Vampire Survivors, which is still an <laughs> unbelievably cheap video game. Yeah. And is amazing. Again, Vampire Survivors, great video game. I like it a lot. But I do think. I I feel like we've started to come over the apex. And this is the thing that you and I like to talk about a lot on this show. We've come over the apex of like, people are just ripping off vampire survivors. And this is a little bit genre adjacent at this point. Like there are people, I think, iterating on what that game is doing in ways that are making them feel unique. And Deep Rock Galactic Survivors so immediately rocked my world. I couldn't. So by comparison, Balatro, a game that I love and I think will probably be one of my favorite games of the year by the end of the year. It took me a while to kind of get into. It took me a couple runs of like, okay, I don't really quite know what I'm doing. I'm only doing two of a kind over and over and over again. I'm not winning very often. Like, I just feel like I'm not good at this. And at this point, I feel much more confident and I understand the depths of why that game is great. Deep Rock Galactic Survivors, literally 15 seconds into my first run, I was like, oh my God, this is genius. Hell yeah. It It is Everything you know about vampire survivors. So, you know, you run around and there's a, it's in the world Deep Rock Galactic. So you are a dwarf in these mines and uh, there's a bunch of aliens coming at you and you have this like little kind of near automata pod that is just shooting them with guns automatically. But because it's in the world of Deep Rock Galactic, you are also mining. There is also a bunch of ground and earth 
that exist to be mined and a bunch of like precious metals and resources and all of these things that you can uh, that you can chip away into. So that means is you are not only running from the enemies who are attacking you and trying to shoot them as best as you possibly can. You're also mining through the earth to see if you can get more precious resources. And you are also trying to mine through the earth in a way that will not essentially trap yourself in a little cave of your own demise when you can't go any further into the ground and you have a wave of 500 aliens coming at you. So is it sort of like Mr. Driller in that way? Uh, our favorite Dreamcast game? Uh, I guess a little bit in that way. Like you, there- I mean, Just in terms of, you know, digging into a cave. But that game, for those who don't know, is like you're drilling, like in this kind of like arcade game, you're drilling down, but blocks are also falling on top of you. So like you want to make sure you don't accidentally like kill yourself by having the blocks fall on top of you. Right. Is it kind of like that or or not really? No, so th- this is still top down, right? So this is still like mm-hmm. from the perspective of Vampire Survivors. But as the as the earth is mineable, it does mean that you can create like a little hallway where just a hundred aliens are just funneled into the hallway. Oh, I see what you mean. And if you goof yeah. up and like at the other end of that earth you're trying to mine through is a crevasse that you then can't pass because it's like, you know, it, it, it's just like a bottomless pit. And if you jump into it, you die. Then that means that you've just created a hallway where you're standing at the end and you can't move anywhere and there's a hundred aliens coming at you ready to kill you the other thing that i think is brilliant about this game that is like such a fun little addition that is not too dissimilar from the way a lot of the the uh, weapons and vampire survivors work you start off with just a machine gun and the machine gun has to be reloaded which creates these extremely tense horrifying moments pretty much every like five seconds where (laughs) you will just unload an entire clip into all the aliens that are coming at you and then you have five seconds of absolutely no damage being dealt to the things that are chasing you and you just need to survive and try your best great the other thing that i think is great is Similar to Vampire Survivors, as you continue to kill all of these enemies, they drop the little pellets that you need to level up your XP bar. When you level up the XP bar, you get to choose from a bunch of upgrades and stuff. But also, as you're mining and finding precious resources, those precious resources are also the things you need to level up. So it does incentivize you to actually go and do the thing that Deep Rock Galactic is known for. And yeah. I think the the marriage of those two, the marriage of like mining and looking for resources and the strategy of you know not trapping yourself in not screwing yourself over in terms of like enemy placement while mining alongside just the vampire survivors of it all is such a chocolate peanut butter mashup it is like (laughs) it is delectable this video game and it was within the first 15 seconds of me like not knowing anything about this game outside of chris plant being like hello i think this is good (laughs) downloading it and booting it up and jumping into my first run where i started mining into the earth chipped away at at a gem that gave me you know enough points to upgrade myself upgrading my reload speed just a little bit and then seeing all the en- it was before the enemies had even shown up i was like oh do i just mine in this game and then the enemy started showing up and i started shooting them and i was like laughing out loud actually in real life like i just i realized i just had this huge grin on my face and i was literally laughing out loud at how much fun i was having within seconds of starting deep rock galactic survive i was like blown the fuck away by this game how long is like a run of it? Because I know like Vampire Survivors is what, a half hour? Yeah, it's a, it's a half hour most. I, I'm honestly not sure. I don't think I've played enough of it to know. Um, okay. What is interesting, though, is that each area that you're in has an objective. And that objective, I think, may change. I'm not really sure. I think it might just be like, hey, there's a big enemy and you have to kill the boss. But there's a, there's like a pod that lands somewhere in, in, the, in the mine that you're in. And if you go stand near that pod for a, a long enough time, kind of like Risk of Rain 
it will then like spawn the end boss for that level. Uh, and if you beat them, there's then like an extraction point you need to make your way to. And when you make your way to that extraction point, uh, you're not actually going up the mine. You're going down deeper into the mine to the next quote unquote level. So I think I, see. I think there are multiple levels that you can make your way through. So it's not just like survive for 30 minutes. It seems to actually be like, can you beat these bosses one after the other which is also i think a fun twist on this formula yeah it's a nice way to make it distinct because there's a game that even predates vampire survivors and obviously there are games like that that predate it but obviously i think vampire survivors made this format very popular yeah there was the one on android i forget i forget what it was called yeah it's like magic something yeah maybe just magic survivors i think it might i think you're right but regardless another one of these games that you and i really liked was 20 minutes till dawn which i think honestly it, it feels like in this genre, if you want to call it that, like just making one confident decision of like, okay, it's this, but X yeah, uh, can really do a lot to make it feel like its own thing. Like even just the, the act of being able to choose when you shoot in 20 minutes till dawn right. made that a dramatically different experience. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like this game is doing multiple versions of that, which really makes it feel one of a kind. Yeah. I, I think it, it's a case of a developer really understanding its own strengths and its own IP that it put together, right? Like Deep Rock Galactic is a game a lot of people really like. And and I think that formula works very well for them. And realizing and having the aha moment that this actually fits really well into what Vampire Survivor's whole deal is, these like auto shooters, if you want to call them that. I think that's like, that was a really smart decision. And every, every single little twist on the formula I found in this game has been really great. I am curious. I just, I haven't found this for myself, but as I've gotten different upgrades, they've all been like weapon upgrades or unlocking like grenades that slow enemies or like, oh, your bullets now do like electric damage that like change through enemies or whatever. Stuff like that. I am curious if there are any upgrades that specifically change the way you're mining. I've seen some that will like increase your mining speed a little bit, but I'm curious if there's going to be like weapons or actual like upgrades to the way you mine like is there going to be in the same way my grenades are on a cooldown for like every five seconds it'll throw a grenade at you know the closest enemy to me or something is there going to be something like hey this is a like mining blast or this is like a tnt blast or something that will like blow away every 10 seconds whatever is around you in terms of in terms of the earth I think that would be really interesting. I have a feeling stuff like that is in there and I just haven't found it yet because I'm too early in this game. But man, generally speaking, like I, I just I just am really, really surprised at how great this game is and how immediately it hooked me. I don't think I've had an experience like that playing a game in quite a while where like it went so quickly from game is recommended to me. I download it. I start playing it. I'd need to tell everyone else in my life that this game is <laughs> the thing they should be playing. It's like it yeah. was so fast. Yeah, I think it depends on the genre because I feel like uh, usually there's that like hour of is this good? Do I like this? Yeah. Kind of like calculation. Yeah. Not that we're th- hard to please or anything, but it's like time to formulate an opinion, you know? Yeah. So that instant that happened to me with Tekken 8, honestly, which like I kind of knew what I was getting into already, but it just feels so good immediately yeah. that I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm right. so into this. That's so great. it's yeah. a nice feeling. That's uh, that's Deep Rock Galactic Survive. Uh, I'm playing it on the Steam Deck as promised. Uh, and 
enjoying a lot and it runs really, really well on there and it looks great and I like it a lot. I, I am hopeful that it comes to other platforms though. I, w- I would like to play this elsewhere also, but uh, it's very, very good and it's also only $10. And I think today, at least the time of this recording, it is $8, which is great. Um, Sold. I think it, it is natural at this point to pivot a little bit to Helldivers 2, which is a very similar game in premise in terms of like, hey, there's a bunch of aliens coming at you and they're kind of bug-like and you should shoot them with your friends. <laughs> Helldivers 2, uh, I brought up last week. I Two things about this. Number one, I brought it to the show last week kind of a little bit of a passionate plea like hey this is a game that's worth checking out i think it's good i think it's interesting i think i think people would like it i was expecting to be in a very small group of people saying that that is not what happened at all helldivers 2 blew the fuck up i've received at least five unprompted texts being like hey do you want to play this and like that's not really like i think people who know me know that this is not really my genre yeah i think it speaks to the desire of people wanting to play this that they're going to reach out to their like weird you know rpg like centric <laughs> friend to play the bug game you know yeah and and as i've become increasingly one of the weird rpg centric friends uh <laughs> i too have had a similar experience where it's like man everyone wants to play helldivers 2 everywhere yeah. i look there's conversation about helldivers 2 uh this game got really big very quickly which i i i'm honestly really stoked about i think this is a game that deserves that kind of player base it's really fun the the stu- i mean we talked a lot about the live service aspect of it last week the studio has been like really forthcoming and and honest about what it means to run a live service game and kind of a little bit more open since last week about their plans and also like how to monetize a live service game in a way that doesn't feel predatory and shitty which i think is also really nice um yeah. because that is not the case with most of these things yeah in stark contrast to the launch of skull and bones not to get too into that but, <laughs> right yeah or phone know. stars yeah right exactly um, so I think all of that is really positive. I I, th- I think uh, I, I'm glad to see this game, which is not a smaller game, technically. You know, it's still like, for all intents and purposes, like a first party Sony thing that's only available on the PS5 and PC. But I do think it is cool to see this franchise that I that I thought was like my little my little treat for myself become like the big thing. Yeah, it's in like the gravity rush tier of Sony stuff yes. where it's like really passionate, small audience for yeah. it kind of thing. The other thing that I brought up on last week's episode, um, which was kind of the tag at the end of the whole segment, was that I had played it for a couple hours and I really felt like I had kind of seen everything. And at least one person in the Discord was like, I I, sh- I want to push back against that because that that person had played a lot more of it um, and was like, I'm still finding new stuff all the time. So I want to both double down on that statement and also concede that I was wrong simultaneously. <laughs> uh Okay. And 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 I think there's a little bit of nuance. Oh, there's a lot of nuance here obviously or else you can't make those points. But I think on one hand, there is a lot of new stuff happening. And actually this week they launched just kind of like a surprise event where they were like, "Hey, robots are attacking now." You're not just fighting bugs. Now there are robots and uh, there's like a huge invasion of robots and they're pushing very quickly. As I mentioned last week, there's this big like galactic map where you can see the war front like as it's happening. Super Earth is right in the middle and you just need to make sure that it doesn't get invaded. And when I say you, I mean everyone who is playing Helldivers 2. We talked about this last week. It's one of the coolest things about this game, I think, is that there is this very there is this very like public and uh, community driven aspect to anytime you highlight a different planet or a different area of the warfront, it shows you a literal percentage of like how much you and the other Helldivers 
have pushed back against it. And that's representative of everyone who is playing all of the missions in that sector. And every time you beat one of those missions, it tells you like you've contributed 0.005% to this area, <laughs> which is fun, you know, and silly. Yeah. It's not too dissimilar from like Splatfests and things like that, where they're like yeah. being very intentional and very smart, I think, about building a community around the game and building community into the game in very tangible ways. Even just seeing the end of a match in Splatoon where you see how much of the level, obviously that's like what you're competing over is who's inked more turf, but like just a visual representation of that goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And when the game launched, they had the bugs, I forget what they're called, and they had the automatons, which are the robots, and you could like fight on either of those fronts. But just this week, they were like, the automatons are like really pushing, like you need to hold them back now, ignore the bugs. And what that means is that everyone who is playing Helldivers this week is just funneled into the playlists that are involved, involving fighting the robots. And that is super fun to see that like, holistic kind of push all towards one area of this big galactic war map that they've created. And very notably, there are huge blank areas on, on some of the diagonals of this map where there will definitely be other factions that you'll need to fight against eventually. Like, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to roll other ones out, especially given the success of this game. I think they're, like, staffing up and, like, working on figuring out how to, you know, get a little bit more ambitious about their long-term plans from what I've seen um, just based on the success of this, which is great. It's very cool. So... That is fun. I'm enjoying unlocking all of the different, uh, they're called stratagems, which are the the like orbital drops I was talking about last week, where it's like you have to pull up uh, a list of all of these like D-pad button combos as if they're like entering Street Fighter combos. And if, and if you can type them in like while you're shooting a robot and getting destroyed by, you know, somebody else's orbital strike, uh, you can maybe call down a minigun that you can use or something. Or alternatively, if one of the people on your team dies, you have to call them back down. Like you have to resurrect them. You have to call their pod down. So stuff like that. Um, the more of the game you play, the more of those you unlock and they continue to be fun and weird and cool. Like I got one recently that was like a strafing run of ships that just like drops a bunch of gas, which is very bad for the robots, but it's very good when you're fighting the aliens. It's also very bad when it hits you and the other hell divers because you're also just people. Um, <laughs> and I think like Doubling down on what I said last week, like the comedy of this game just continues to get funnier and funnier and funnier, especially the further up the ranks you get and the more of the stratagems you unlock and the more stuff the people on your team have to play with. It just gets like deeply silly when you and everybody are like all holding sniper rifles, but all of the robots you're fighting are literally like the adats from Star Wars and they're all on top of you. It's like, why do I have a sniper rifle if I can't even shoot the front of them and all my bullets just ricochet off of them? Like, yeah. that stuff is so funny every single time. I do think that although that person is definitely right that there is always more stuff to unlock and that's very cool, I feel like I've I've seen like in general what is possible from Helldivers 2. I think that's kind of more what I mean. I've had a good time unlocking that stuff, but I feel like I kind of know the possibility space of Helldivers 2. Like, I don't think there's going to be a stratagem that I unlock that is going to, like, blow my mind and make me think, like, oh, my God, I didn't even know this was possible in this game. But that doesn't mean that I'm not having increasingly more fun with it every single time I sit down to play it, which I think is I think is the thing I really want to drill down on here. What I've taken away from Helldivers 2 continuing the live service conversation from last week is like i think a lot of these games want to be the only game you play right it's mm -hmm. a thing that we and everybody talks about all the time like destiny 2 for a long time wanted to be the only game that you were playing and it wasn't until years in that bungie and the team behind that game started to realize that like 
oh my God, we built a game that is like not only predatory from a monetary perspective, but is also predatory from like a time perspective where like people are sinking time into this game when they don't want to be playing video games and it's actively bad for them to be doing so. And there are so many live service games that are built with that in mind. Yeah. Or built without that in mind, which I think is even worse. Like to build something like that and not even understand the negative impacts that it can have on people and just do it because you're like chasing the live service trend or chasing the monetization trend. Right. You know, that's like super dark. And what I think really struck me about Helldivers 2, the few times I dipped into it to play again this week, were like, this isn't a game that I feel the need to play all the time. And it's not built to be a game that I need to play all the time. It's built to be a game where like every once in a while I'll get a text from a friend who'll be like, hey, do you want to play Helldivers tonight? And we do like two or three missions and then that's it. And I don't need to play it until the next time somebody texts me. Like there's no sense for me, at least of like, I'm going to accomplish this quest so I can unlock this thing before it goes away in one week. Like that is not built into this game at all. And it's possible they might build something like that into this game eventually. But I don't think there's ever going to be a world in which I play the game that way. And I think that's really refreshing to have like this thing that will always be here and will always be updated. And there will probably for the foreseeable future be something interesting to see or do. And there will be moments eventually when there's more stuff patched in. That's like, Oh my God, I didn't know this was possible in this game, but now it is because of this cool update that they added. And I'll just like discover those things every couple of months, probably for the foreseeable future. It's not too unlike one of the things that Fortnite does well, but in an even less predatory way than Fortnite is doing it, I think. And that's really exciting. And I think that's really nice. And it's really refreshing as as like reductive yeah. as it might sound. Like, I, I think it's just like it's just nice to have a game that will always just be fun to play with your friends when you want to have a silly time like that. It sounds so obvious, but I think that's something that's been lost in trying to chase the live service high, like you said. Totally. But I think ironically, it also, and this is just a hunch, I don't have the numbers here, but like, I imagine it makes more business sense at this point to not try to be the only game someone is playing because then you're inherently competing with Fortnite. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, maybe like kind of know, not know your place in like a, Mortal Kombat fatality way but like (laughs) you know I think like know what your strengths are be confident in what you're delivering and know that people will like why are they coming here you know not just because you want to make money but because you want to provide this kind of experience and also in an alternative future where Sony decided to not stop production on the 10 other live service games they were working on you're then competing with the other 10 live service games that you're working on and releasing there's a world in which you release all 11 of those things and all of them are vying to be the only game you play and that means that you wasted money producing 10 games because maybe one of them took off and there's a world in which none of them took off and you're still just competing against Fortnite. and i feel like most people are pretty trepidatious about picking up another one of these games i mean even yeah not live service but like when I was streaming Tekken, people in the chat were asking me, like, how would you compare this to Street Fighter? Like, I want to play both, but I don't have it in me to, like, do both. You right, know? yeah. Which I think in that case is more of, like, it's like learning two instruments, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit, like, daunting, but... It's the same idea, I think, where it's like you you want to properly uh, make time and space for a game and not feel like you have to be there, which yeah. is the FOMO side of it. Yeah, absolutely. So with all that said, I, I, I really feel like Helldivers 2 has kind of set itself up in the couple play sessions I've had since we last recorded the last episode as like a thing I will go back to every once in a while to play with friends and maybe even just to like listen to a podcast or something. There, There's a world in which I am just like 
queuing up in quick play matches, fucking off for a while and listening to a podcast, which I think is like great and a, and a, a perfect kind of game for the kinds of play sessions that I want. What's hilarious is the game that's coming to mind as you say all those qualifications is Mario Kart 8. <laughs> yeah. And but I actually think that is this is maybe a bit of a left turn literally, but like I think that game the reason it's like still the best selling switch game is for that reason where it's like yeah it's just something you're always going to go back to right so maybe the move is not to have a game that keeps you there but a game that like you're excited to return to between sessions yeah i i I mean one of the kindest things i can say about any game is that i didn't delete it off of my console (laughs) right Yeah, that sounds harsher than I know you mean it to be. You know what I mean, uh, though, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like the Nintendo Switch has existed since 2017 and not in that entire time have I deleted Mario Kart 8 off of my Nintendo Switch. Yeah, because it is always a game that will be fun to turn on when people are over or like you or I will text each other and be like, hey, do you want to play Mario Kart tonight? And I feel like I have n- not had a game like that on my PS5 since the PS5 came out. And Helldivers 2 might for the first time be a game that will just like permanently be installed on my PS5. This is a separate conversation, but my tinfoil hat theory is that, and this is really unhinged. I don't really fully believe this, but I feel like the file size of games has ballooned to the point where I feel like, are they trying to monopolize? Like I actually can only have this game installed. Like, I don't not believe that that was the case with call of duty specifically yeah like i feel like you know okay there's always going to be like a Baldur's gate 3 or an elden ring that is genuinely a huge game that that requires that but like not to dunk in it again but did mortal kombat 1 have to be a hundred gigs <laughs> like that's insane to me yeah, you know yeah. like it looks great but it's like and you know combined with that game's monetization i started to wonder like this feels eerie to me like this doesn't feel like a coincidence you know yeah, yeah. i don't know that's just like Something I've been thinking about is like, is this by design? Is it like accidental byproduct or just like development ballooning and games having to be the biggest and best thing every time? Or is there like another angle to this? It's just been on my mind. Big, big question marks. I mean, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, Helldivers 2 is 1.8 terabytes. You do need to have an external hard drive to download the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to play anything else, you'll have to delete Helldivers 2. Probably should have mentioned that at the top. Uh, but yeah. besides that, great game. Yeah. Yeah. Helldivers 2. You and I still haven't played it together and I really want to. I think you, me and AJ want to stream this at one point. We yeah. we realize it's been a long time since the three of us have done something together. Yeah. Maybe since Titanfall 2 in like 2021. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh wait, no, that was earlier. It's been a while. It's been a long time. Do you do you also want to talk about us streaming? We talked about it a little bit in the Discord earlier today. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you may have noticed uh, a pattern emerging, but for the last like humankind very good at recognizing <laughs> patterns. The golden ratio appears everywhere in nature. Um we've been streaming on Thursdays. Aliens already <laughs> walk among us. We've hyped this up too much. We've been streaming on Thursdays. We've been wanting, I mean, literally for years, like I think streaming has always been kind of an off and on thing for us. Like we love doing it, but historically we've been like really active and then completely silent for months. You Mm -hmm. know, like I think there would be like a game or some type of streaming project that one of us would be really excited about. Like I love doing my Nuzlocke. Uh, you've done multiple playthroughs, like you did all of Liza P recently. All this is on our YouTube, by the way. Most of it's backed up there. But we've been wanting to find like a, a consistent schedule uh, for our Twitch because mathematically, we actually have like streamed every week for most years. It's just that 
it's all in like one month. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> we like stream every day in like July and then never again. So uh, we we settled on a system that works for us. Between myself, Brendan and AJ, one of us will be streaming on Thursday and it will be a different time depending on who's streaming. We may down the road have a more like concrete time set, but for now we want Thursdays to be the day that's not to say that streams won't happen on other days i think if inspiration strikes and we want to stream those will still happen kind of spur the moment but thursdays every week one of us will be streaming very excited to officially unveil that even though we've been doing it already yeah i i think um the more look this having (laughs) having the kind of uh presence that we do uh and having the kind of ethos that we do about the stuff that we make and how we put it on the internet uh requires a lot of trial and error and it also frequently means that we like announce things and then we realize that we can't do them or don't want to keep them up etc etc but our methodology has always been like we will make things on the internet if we feel passionately like we want to and we won't do it out of obligation so that's where this kind of came from was like we all want to be streaming more it was just a question of like finding a way that really worked for us so I think the big thing for us was like, let's just do this and not announce it until we know it will be sustainable, um, yeah. which I think was definitely the right approach. So it's exciting. I don't know when I'm streaming again next. It'll be probably on a Thursday at some point, uh, but yeah. expect to see something strange. I've been streaming an honor mode run in Baldur's Gate 3, uh, which has been a lot of fun. Um, that's still going on. That will probably be what I do next time I'm up. But uh also just a variety of games whatever whatever strikes our fancy i know some people have asked me to play like a dragon infinite wealth i think by the time it's my turn to stream again i will be so far into that game that it is (laughs) it'd be a spoiler it'd be really a spoiler like i i am purposefully not bringing that game to the show until i'm done with it and maybe even later than that because i'm like so deep into it and i've seen so much that like anything i talk about in terms of what i've seen is so so spoiler centric that it's like i can't even i can't even tiptoe around a segment for the show i i might do that then because i I did do a poll my toxic trait is i often do polls for what i should stream and then i just choose what i want to do no matter what wins <laughs> but usually what happens is like it's all really close mm. it's like okay what that communicates to me is like people want all of it you know mm. there isn't like a clear definitive winner yeah and it was tech and a persona 3 reload infinite wealth and Baldur's gate 3 oh yeah so i also it didn't help that i i did a poll in the discord and on threads and i got different results in both places <laughs> uh so i'm early enough in infinite wealth still that maybe i'll stream that at some point yeah i was just talking to again friend of the show and co-host of the twg podcast can't let it go matt horton uh earlier today about Balatro when I finally like had played enough of it that I was like I just need to tell you I'm so grateful that you brought up this game (laughs) so often and like now I totally get it but he recently picked up and has been playing Yakuza 7 like a dragon uh which uh if you if you were following along on the discord he was like I don't think this is going to be my kind of game at all and is now almost done with it uh which I think is great that's amazing um yeah but in that conversation I I was like I don't want to pressure you into playing infinite wealth immediately afterwards I don't want you to burn out because it's very I mean the Yakuza games there's so many of them and it's very easy to burn out on them because they're all so long and like a dragon was the longest one until infinite wealth came out which is why but for my own i think like health in general have just kind of taken a little bit of a more nuanced approach to the way i'm playing stuff than usual because i feel like this year is so front-loaded with so many huge great games as we've talked about a lot yeah 
Specifically big RPGs. Yes. What I'm doing right now is I'm focusing all of my effort on finishing Persona 3 Reload and then going to finish Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, which I am well over the halfway mark already. That having been said, like bouncing back and forth between them just meant that I was not going to finish either of them and I would burn out on both of them. So now I'm like, let me just finish Persona first and then Infinite Wealth. But I'm so excited to finish that game. That actually maybe is a good segue into the next segment. So let's take one more break. Sounds good. And then talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the year and maybe the years after that. Wow. The years ahead. Do the future. Dude, that 14 year old who knew Twilight Princess was coming out. (laughs) He's going to be really excited about the PS6. (laughs) (laughs) all right see you later bye-bye all right steven what's up (laughs) let me adam i don't know why that sounded like it was gonna turn into you and me at the lake at 4 (laughs) 15 we're gonna fight in front of the principal (laughs) (laughs) why is he coming to the lake i don't know he's bored (laughs) He, he, he wants to moderate yeah stop stop i want a clean fight okay what do you got for me <laughs> all right look the the pitch of this podcast uh is that we bring things to the show when uh we're interested in them when we like them when we think we can have an interesting conversation i think one of the tenets of the show generally speaking unless there's something that like really stands out is we're not as we say beholden to new releases we're not talking about news every week we don't have like a news segment that we're that we're doing all the time with like exceptions here and there sometimes a nintendo direct comes out and it's so wild and sephiroth kills mario and we have to talk about it <laughs> uh, i guess that was technically the game awards and, but like and i think by nature of just you know existing in a time it's fun to <laughs> listen back to older episodes and that was maybe a dumb way to phrase it but no, i loved it it was perfect okay good i love existing in a time it's like it's on my linkedin <laughs> i notice comments from people who have list have gone back and listened to like 2018 episodes and i think like even without realizing it we're like exuding 2018 energy about oh, certain things yeah totally you know? so there, there's inherently a, a bit of a time capsuleness to any given moment yeah every year on this show i have ended our goatee episodes by saying i think silk song is going to come out next year <laughs> yeah that's the, that's the pagliacci of the show yeah that's not even a bit like somebody recently in the discord listened to all of those and told me I said that in every single one. It's <laughs> very funny. Which, by the way, Team Cherry publicly was like, hey, we're still working on the game. Everything's going great. Talk to you later. No awesome. no release date. No nothing. But like, nice to hear from them. Yeah, I think, I think an update is all I ever need. Yeah, maybe the game one day, but like, updates are good until then. Anyway, all that said, I, th- I think we make a show that is generally speaking like pretty like quote unquote evergreen. Like most episodes could be your first episode and you could like yeah, you could just open up the show and listen to any episode and it would probably work out. And I also think there is a little bit of a benefit in starting from the beginning. I think the best thing to point out always is like I didn't really play a lot of turn based RPGs before we started this podcast. And now I have played so many of them. And that that lineage, I think, is fun to follow. And that's kind of always been the intention of the podcast. But I do think every once in a while there are moments where certain news stories break that i think like really should be talked about on this show because it is interesting to contain them in a time capsule and see how we feel about it when all of this stuff comes to fruition and i think the three news stories that hit from the major console manufacturers over the past couple of weeks all really do lead up to what i think is going to be like a really interesting future for like the industry as a whole uh, yeah. so just to I guess like in one or two sentences describe what I'm talking about for each of them. Nintendo is the easiest one. This just broke this morning. 
Um, but it's sounding like the Nintendo Switch 2 is going to get pushed to 2025. Whereas all of the reporting from Bloomberg and everyone was pointing at probably a March reveal and like a September or November release for 2024. This is coming at a time, I think, where the Nintendo Switch has been on its quote unquote last legs for like years at this point. Like it is yeah. it came out in, in 2017. It is literally almost seven years old at this point. It has been around for a long time. It is showing its age. I think the games that work best on it are games that are like, you know, uh, kind of shooting a little bit under what is possible on that hardware and the games that try and get a little bit too close to the sun burn their wings off. I think actually a game that I, I'm not going to talk about this week, but is probably worth bringing up in, in that uh, realm is Mario vs. Donkey Kong. Like that's such an obvious we're at the end of the Nintendo Switch lifecycle remake. That is a remake of a Game Boy Advance game and it sure feels and kind of looks like it when you're playing it on the Nintendo Switch even though it's like all like shiny 3D graphics now. At the end of the day that game feels to me like Nintendo acknowledging that we're like almost done with the Switch. Not that yeah. it's like I'm uh, to be clear I'm not like oh they're lazy or whatever. I, ju I just mean like when you are choosing to remake make like a very obviously made for a 32-bit handheld console from the early 2000s game on the Nintendo Switch, there's an acknowledgement that like you're saving the bigger stuff for the next thing, you know? Yeah, that's the sideshow in between events. Yes. yes. I did like the ones on the DS quite a bit, though. They're fun. They were good. Actually, there's a really, really good article on Polygon that's essentially like Mario vs. Donkey Kong is pretty good, but they remade the wrong one, uh, which is like <laughs> totally true. We've played all of them for all of our, our console recaps, yeah. and the ones on the DS are way better than the yeah. GBA one. Anyway, so that's the Nintendo side of things. Uh, the Switch is pro the next Switch is probably coming next year instead of this year. The Sony side of things, uh, their new president to be because Jim Ryan has stepped down. Uh, their new president to be gave an earnings report and just kind of like generally a Q and A that was a little bit of like a hey here I am here's my thoughts about running PlayStation here's what I plan on doing and here's our plans for the next you know however many whatever months uh, next couple fiscal quarters. He was basically like we don't have any major intellectual property games coming out for the rest of the year like there's just none there might be some new stuff like new ip but don't expect like a god of war ragnarok level sequel don't expect like a marvel spider-man level sequel which rules out things like ghost of tsushima which i think a lot of people thought might come out this year and things like that like the big franchises that sony has actually like in their first party tank we're just not seeing it for the rest of the year they're like the yeah. rest of the year is gonna be very slow and even naughty be... dog i mean they recently had their pivot from working on last of us multiplayer to like yes. we're gonna focus on our single player games which makes i think that makes sense yes but it's like we don't know what's coming from like the flagship uh sony team you know which right. speaks volumes. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think that pivot also means like there's probably a lot of other not publicized pivots happening internally as they cancel a lot of those live service games, which essentially means and this is how they kind of capped it off is like we're relying on third party in 2024. Like first party at Sony is not really going to show up and third party is going to be the thing that gets us through the end of the year. And then the Microsoft side of things, which I think 
created the biggest hubbub and was the most wild and ended up being, in my eyes, the biggest nothing burger of it all was mm. a lot of reports over the past couple of weeks saying that games like Starfield and Indiana Jones and Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment and Grounded and Sea of Thieves were all going to start launching multi-platform. So these huge and small first-party Xbox games from Xbox Game Studios were going to start launching on the Switch and the PS5. That Xbox was no longer going to be like just focused on, you know, Game Pass and the Xbox console, but wanting their stuff to be multi-platform all the time. Phil Spencer and Sarah Bond and the rest of the Xbox team got on a podcast yesterday, I think at the time of this recording or two days ago, uh, where they sat down and talked about what those plans meant because, and I think this is kind of like a quote unquote emergency podcast, as much as there can be an emergency podcast in real life, which is never that a bunch of <laughs> which like, never. which like a bunch of like strange adult Xbox fanboys started taking their Xboxes and recording TikToks of them throwing them in the trash because they thought the Xbox was done forever because other people might get to play Starfield. <laughs> Which is like oh God. patently wild. <laughs> that uh, happened. Uh, that happens a lot in weird ways. Like does. I remember uh, when Sony started porting their first party games to PC. I think it was Horizon. Yes. People like lost their minds at the idea that like someone could also play this game. Yes. The console war stuff has become so bizarre in this sort of like late era. Like you know, like I feel like the marketing of the 2000s has led to this like really like strange outlet of anger from certain people. Yeah. Put a pin in that because that is definitely going to come up again uh, as we get further <laughs> okay. into this conversation. There, oh there is one, there is one tweet that everybody has been quoting, which I think is very funny, which uh, was Xbox has lost Tim dog. Xbox might lose Chlor brill risk it is unhappy so many have messaged me saying they're leaving xbox consoles this is a nightmare which like i think they lost tim dog has been the name of like 15 different podcast episodes <laughs> over the course of the past week <laughs> rightfully because that's a very funny thing to say but i think the xbox team seeing all of this strange and unfounded uh reactionary posting from their most like quote-unquote ardent fans force them to get on the mic and say what their actual plans for multi-platform releases and the future is for Xbox. And the answer, dear listener, is that their strategy is the same as it's always been. They've been... I, I feel like I am going wild seeing some of these reactions because they've been very clear about what they want the Xbox brand to be forever. And you and I have talked about this for literally years at this point, but Xbox does not care. Microsoft does not care about you buying a console that goes under your TV anymore. They are yeah. trying to get to a future where Xbox is literally every screen that can run an Xbox game. Yeah, you can play like you you at launch could play Halo Infinite on your MacBook with the Pro controller. Yes, you know, like, yes, and they, they and that's not like breaking any rule. Right, that's a thing that they want, and that's a thing that they have always <laughs> wanted. It is not wild to think that that might also include having some games be exclusive to the Xbox family of mm -hmm. services and boxes for like six to eight months and then launching on the Nintendo Switch later. Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment are launching on the Nintendo Switch and PlayStation eventually. That's exciting and that's cool. People should play those games. They're both great games. I actually think Pentiment will probably be better on Switch than on Xbox. Yeah, and Hi-Fi Rush feels like a natural fit for the Switch. I totally you know? agree. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones that people are speculating, or maybe I'm getting this wrong, but the other ones that people are speculating are Grounded and Sea of Thieves, which also makes sense because those are two live service games and it makes a lot of sense to me to release live service games on more platforms so you can get more people in that loop of making it the only game you play forever, as we discussed when talking about Helldivers. So that's just like 
prudent business decisions. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. Like the most cold calculated version of this is like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to put the live service games out there and the smaller games that can run on switch, put them on switch. Cause the install base is gigantic. Also, yeah. I mean, PlayStation five has been outselling the Xbox series consoles three to one, pretty much the entire life cycle so far. They have very clearly lost this generation. If you want to, you know, consider winners and losers in the case of like literally just how many consoles sold, it makes a lot of sense to release your games on the PlayStation five because you're going to make a lot more money than if you just release it on Xbox. Yeah, but very dreamcast of them, very dreamcast of them. But having that exclusivity window makes a lot of sense. It's why it doesn't surprise me. You know, they said that there are no plans to release Starfield on the PS5. Starfield started production on the PS5. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point they were like, hey, let's put it on there. Like that would just make sense, I think. It feels like a possible future for that. I don't think this means Xbox is just going to become like Sega. Like it's not going to just stop making consoles one day and then it'll just be like, oh, Xbox went from being one of the console manufacturers to just a third party publisher. Like that's not the direction they're trending in. Things will always be exclusive to Xbox Game Pass. Things will always be exclusive to the Xbox platform as it stands. It ended up just kind of being nothing. Like it's just an extension of the thing they've been saying very publicly for literally almost five <laughs> years at this point, uh, which I think is very funny. All of that having been said, I, I guess a am curious about your take on those things. And B, I think there's a larger conversation to be had here about like what this means for just like consoles in general, because I think yeah. I think the, the through line of all of this for me is Xbox is making sure that all of their games are launching on again, like cloud gaming, the Xbox consoles and PC on day one, because, you know, the PC is largely maintained by Microsoft, who makes Windows, which is where a lot of those games run. PlayStation is also making a like they are releasing their games on the PS5. And then, you know, about a year later, all of those games then come out on PC again. And then Nintendo is off doing their own Nintendo thing. Nintendo is always just going to do their own thing. There's not a world, I think, in which like Mario vs. Donkey Kong comes out on PC eventually. Like that's just always... <laughs> gonna ah! be how nintendo works although it honestly it would be very nintendo if that was the one game the only time <laughs> yeah like, all right we've heard the complaints like now you can play mario vs. Donkey Kong on steam deck <laughs> it's verified great on steam deck um i, I think yeah. i think where, where this all leads to me is like i feel and we have talked about a lot on the show this generation has kind of been like disappointing in a way i've liked a lot of the games that have released in this generation i think that the consoles are very nice i think the ps5 is like a good piece of hardware i think the xbox i've owned the series s i have a series x now i think they're great pieces of hardware i like playing them i still don't feel like these consoles have really proven their need to exist yet with a few key exceptions. The one we always bring up is Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. That's like one of those games. It's like that probably couldn't have run on the PS4. Yeah. But a lot of these games have been coming out on both last and current gen. Yes. It's a lot to take in. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought it up. Because honestly, this is something that I've actually been asked a good amount, specifically about the PlayStation side of it. Mm. I've, I've had a few friends text me about like, I think it probably in response to to the new CEO saying like that the PS5 has been kind of a disappointment. I think it's worth addressing at the top of this discussion that we are two video game podcast hosts <laughs> who have a Patreon that cover almost all game expenses. Yes. And we have all the consoles. I fundamentally know that I would not have every console if that were not the case. That is definitely you know? true for me. Actually, that's not like, true at all for me. I would have all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it would be. I, I, I can't 
foresee that other reality, I would definitely have a Switch at the very least. If I had to guess, I would probably have a PS5 and a Switch at least. Mm -hmm. But we have it all uh, because we do this show and we want to be able to talk about as much as possible. I also want to say that like these are three giant corporations. We admire and critique things that happen uh, from all three of them. Uh, So there's no like console allegiance here on our end. Not at all. I think to help me frame my thoughts i think there's four acts sorry i just this. had a paypal deposit for ten thousand dollars i do like the xbox more than the other two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, there are four acts in my head a piece of this feels like we just called nintendo sony and xbox like to the principal's office honestly it feels like <laughs> in a way they're all kind of facing their worst self here where it's like Nintendo is once again held back by like cheaper hardware to be blunt. Yeah. Sony is completely resting on their laurels, uh, which like Mm -hmm. we've been critical of them for doing. That's not to say that the games haven't been great. And I think the PS five is a super impressive piece of hardware, but more on that in a second. And Xbox kind of fails to get people excited. Yeah. Like, I think those are like the key critiques to to all of the shortcomings, I think, overall, at least yeah. from my perspective. Xbox bought like 100 studios and we haven't seen really any output from any of them. Yeah. So I think that that's like a piece of it here. And I have more like nuanced thoughts on each of those. But then there's the other piece of this that is like, where are games as a whole moving? Mm. Are we moving to a reality that is no longer confined to you have to buy a new box every five years? I know that the PC crowd are losing their minds because that's been their reality for forever is like not doing that. You can have a PC. But I wonder if like as a whole, it will be more like you can get the games wherever you want and choose the piece of hardware that works best for you. That sounds good to me. Like that sounds overall like a net positive. Yeah. I think console exclusivity overall is not a great thing. However, there are some positives to it. I think when we do these console retrospective episodes, there is so much creativity when a console is like specifically limited or designed around a certain thing. Yeah. You know, the DS and the Dreamcast, I think are great examples of like the Dreamcast comes out and is like the first of its kind in so many ways in an era where so much of that technology was brand new. You can say the same for the PS5, but it's like no loading times versus 3D for the first time. There's no comparison (laughs) of like what is more exciting, you know? (laughs) So I think like, while I do miss that like intentional design for a piece of hardware, I I think overall having games be more widely available at a lower price of entry, I think is overall a better thing for consumers. Yeah, totally agree. So I think if we move in that direction, it's it's a good thing. But I don't know. No one can really confidently claim what's going to happen. That's the bigger conversation. That's the part I feel ill-equipped to like confidently give an answer to. But in terms of Nintendo, it's like I am not bothered by the Switch hardware. I love the Switch. I think like to your point about has this generation been disappointing? I think it's ironic because like we ended our 2023 game of the year episode saying this has probably been one of the best years for video games ever. Yes. The games are amazing, but it really feels like the consoles are new because there has to be a new console. That's in the Switch's exactly case. Exactly what I was going to bring up. Yes. Yeah. In the Switch's case, I think the Switch launched and really was like 
the dream of the Wii U real, realized. Yeah. You know, I think the Wii U failed. I think it's not to say that it's not a good system in its own way. It has some things. We love the menus. We love the UI. It had some good first party stuff, but it failed because there was a severe lack of third party support for it. Yeah. And the Switch has had the complete opposite. Like it's had incredible third party support. I think the Switch has been out long enough that the idea of it showing you can play Skyrim on it was exciting when that was first revealed and is now kind of a given yeah it's like showing doom on a computer i posted on threads a couple weeks ago i was like do you think that there even can be a moment like that again like do you think right. that when the switch 2 is announced there is a game out there that will get people as excited as they were when skyrim was shown on the first <laughs> one i think the answer is like only maybe cyberpunk and i don't think that yeah. nintendo would have that in their reveal <laughs> so i think i think the switch was really exciting i think it had an incredible launch like launching with breath of the wild and mario odyssey alone yeah was such a great like that could have that could have been it for years and it wasn't it was like <laughs> yeah. I mean, we started the show in 2018 and it felt like every time there was a new first party game it got the switch treatment where it yeah. was like not only is this game good but it is redefining what this series is about right it reminds me of like spiritually what happened with the N64 where every game was like X64. Yeah. And, you know, it got put in 3D. It's like the Switch games just yeah, like guess, got... guess what Kirby can be now. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's really exciting. At the same time, it launched on dated hardware. And like, mm -hmm. I think even though the first party stuff tends to run pretty well, Pokemon aside, like even if you're not a super nitpicky person when it comes to performance, I think it's always been a little bit disappointing that like you kind of have to settle for less always. Mm -hmm. And I think Nintendo's always been good about designing around limitations, but like there are some games like Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which is a first party game that is like, it looks great and it runs great, but it's so clearly like aspiring to be more. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been better on anything else, you know, like, yeah, I think it's great on Switch, but I, I look at the environments and I'm like, man, that distant pterodactyl doing 15 frames a second. Like, I just wish you got a better life on yeah. a different console. <laughs> so, yeah, I think like that was not an issue for the first like few years for most people. Mm -hmm. And now even for you and I, who are not people that bring up frame rate are starting to be like, all right, like, you know, yeah. it, it, it feels like it's holding some of these games back. PlayStation, I think we were pretty critical of right away because like, I, I just feel like there's this, and again, I really like a lot of the Sony first party stuff. We have bonuses about God of War. I love the Last of Us series. A lot of them mean a lot to me and have a very special place in my heart. But it's the definition of like stopping at what works. You know, it's like, yes. here's the PS5. We make the best and like biggest and highest budget, like, you know, prestige games. And therefore we're going to win. And that's just not what happened. Like, right. Because, you're, I mean, you're seeing the, the fact that they don't have anything coming out towards the end of the year is a huge, like, aha moment for us, I think, who have been saying for years, you can't just have these games that take five or six or seven years to build yeah. and cost 150 to $300 million every time you make them coming out one a year, because as soon as you realize it doesn't work or you need to cancel a game or something, it means all of your games are now coming out on the PS6. <laughs> right. And it's like, again, like independent of the quality, like I, I, I really like my PS5. It's the system I probably play the most. 
I like having games on my PS5 because it guarantees a certain level of performance. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to take away anyone's positive experience with it, but you have to recognize that it has been out for four years. And if you are making a console that is riding on the idea of exclusives to have like a dozen PS5 only games is is wild, you know, and like we've been critical of this many times, so I don't want to go in circles, but I just think like remaking both Last of Us in like the same handful of years, I think says everything you need to know. Yeah, you know, yeah, totally. And then Xbox is like, I, I actually think overall even though I'm very weary of a like subscription based video game, I don't want that to be the norm across the board of like games are all about subscriptions the same way we've fallen into that for TV and film. Yeah. Um, But I think like the idea of like, we don't care where you play this and you can get the top of the line hardware if you, if that's important to you, but you can also get this kind of base needs version of it for less money. Like, that to me is probably the the approach that makes the most sense for this current reality. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I think if Xbox had the like if that strategy was paired with like Nintendo's lineup, I think they would be dominating. But it's like, yeah. you know, I think the the unveiling of what the Xbox exclusives are and then like the reception to a lot of the really big like Starfield kind of being a lukewarm reception, I think was a really big loss for them. Yeah, I think you could point at Starfield, Redfall and Halo Infinite as like three things that should have been slam dunks, none of which were. Yeah. Kind of spelling a little bit of doom in terms of like their their foothold there. Exactly. So I think like overall, it's it's been it's hard to say it's disappointing because like on one hand, it's like the PS5 is an incredible piece of hardware. And I like the I like the angle that Microsoft is taking. And I really like the switch. But like it feels like I had to get them because I was asked to (laughs) and not like I was excited about it. I think that's one of the things for me is like we already know that 2028 is what both Sony and Xbox are targeting for the next versions of both of their consoles. Like Xbox is not getting out of the console game much to, I I think the chagrin of a lot of people who reported otherwise when they were throwing their Xboxes in the trash a couple weeks ago. But like, you know, Phil Spencer in that, in that podcast said that there is some kind of Xbox hardware announcement coming this year, which is probably going to be the, what was leaked version of the series X that I think is codenamed Brooklyn that is going to come out, I, I, I guess, at the end of this year. And that means we're already at like the mid console life cycle upgrade refresh, you know, PS5 Pro era of whatever we're at. Uh, and that is wild to me because I still haven't like if you came up to me and you were like, which of the consoles do I buy? I would be like, I think right now the answer is maybe none of them. Like, I think I think like a Steam Deck, honestly, I think, yeah, maybe buy a Steam Deck like buy a switch light really cheap knowing that you'll probably upgrade it in like six months or something so you can play some switch stuff but like i think the the xbox series lineup like i don't think they've earned my upgrade to whatever their mid cycle upgrade is going to be you know like when that thing gets announced at the end of the year why would i buy that versus series x i already have i think it's telling that like i love my series s but the bulk of what i have on it is indies and older games like yeah. one of my favorite things about the Xbox is just the availability of older titles in the e-store, which is like I recognize an extremely Steven thing. So I guarantee that's like not a big draw for most people. Yeah. The weird irony of that is Phil Spencer has gone on the record multiple times. Phil, if you don't know who I'm talking about, Phil Spencer is the head of Xbox. I yeah. we should probably say that's a, not everybody knows that stuff. Um, yeah. 
there were two in the weeds. Um, Phil Spencer has gone on the record multiple times as saying the Xbox One generation was the worst generation to lose, which they did in spectacular fashion. The announcement of the Xbox One by Don Matrick and the rest of that team was such a colossal failure because they wanted it to be like a TV set top box first and then a game console second. And the DRM stuff, it was a nightmare. But what that meant and what Phil Spencer is referring to is that in the generation where everyone was building up digital libraries, similar to what everybody does on Steam on PC, where you have like 500 games and you've only played, you know, a, a third of them um, or less. That's what everyone was doing with the PS4 and Xbox One generations. Everyone was building up their digital libraries. And if you wanted to build up a digital library and have your name tied to an account, knowing that that stuff would probably carry over to the next generation, the one after that and the one after that, the fact that they lost the Xbox One generation meant that they were going to be starting off behind on every generation subsequent to that the ps4 winning last gen meant that the ps5 was probably going to win no matter what happened which is that's what makes it ironic i think that you're like my favorite thing about the xbox series is my huge collection of digital uh like back catalog stuff um which i do think is one of the reasons they invested so much in making sure that they ported forward the original xbox and 360 stuff was to make sure that like there is an incentive to go back and build that library and then that does in some way get you a little bit hooked on their walled garden. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think like, I don't know, it's weird because I look back on the PS4 to see like what, what was done there in a, you know, correctly that hasn't been done with the PS5. And I think the big thing is the third party support, which the PS5 does have to be clear, yeah. like things are coming out for it. But I don't know. I, I just think like, the I think the melding of the brand into kind of a singularity has been off-putting to me. Like yeah. it hasn't like outrightly ruined any of the games, but I think like trying to force them all to kind of fit like a Last of Us esque molds, yeah, uh, has made me feel less excited for them. And then it's like you know again the ballooning costs and development and the fact that they're like almost a decade apart now which is sort of like i kind of know like you're banking on familiarity in a sense yeah so it's really hard to get that excited for a game eight years away when i know exactly what it's going to be you yeah. know right like that's because it's like you're essentially like uh, assuming that we're going to have the same hype that was built up for like tears of the kingdom after breath of the wild which is like kind of impossible to recreate you know yes. Yeah, totally. And and honestly, a lot of the sequels on the Sony side, I've found to be slight improvements over the original and in some cases, not even, you know, like yeah. only improvements in some areas and not at all. Sometimes it's a step backwards. And that's been a little bit disappointing because, you know, with those kinds of budgets and with those kinds of development times, I, I would expect something more ambitious more frequently. Yeah. And then again, on the Xbox side, it's like, you know, you bought all these studios and I'm sure they're working on stuff, but like what we've seen has been mostly disappointing or hasn't grabbed audiences. And like as much as the Xbox side of the house pretty publicly has been like, you know, it's not just games that win people over to consoles. Like at the end of the day, I, I do think that is it. Like I really <laughs> think like the games just have to be good and then people will go and buy those consoles. Like exclusives do matter. It's why Nintendo does have the foothold they have. Which it's console why, has the best Paramount Plus? You know you what know? I mean? Like that's it's, what I want. Yeah. It's wild. Like just because Game Pass has so many games on it doesn't mean it's automatically great. Like it's great because of the specific games that are on it are great you know yeah. um i mean the most magical experience i've had in 2024 so far has been playing persona 3 reload on my xbox and then putting it into sleep mode picking up my odin launching the game pass app and then immediately picking up where i left off and playing it in bed until i fall asleep like that back and forth is legitimately magical and that's the kind of experience that i think 
is what makes Xbox really interesting right now. And that's the kind of thing I'm glad they're investing in in the future. But it also raises questions for me about like when they say they're releasing new hardware, I don't feel the need to buy that. When Sony is like, hey, the PS6 is coming. Are you excited about it? And we'd be like, I don't even know why I bought the PS5, really. Like a lot of the games that I wanted to play, I could have played on the PS4 or I could have waited. And honestly, this is where this is all kind of leading to in my eyes is like getting back to what you were saying we're definitely outliers because we host a video game podcast and it makes sense for us to have all this stuff so we can talk about it and cover it and, you know, make sure we're like, as much as we're chasing our own bliss, there's also a little bit of a beholdence to you, the listener, the audience, you know, we want to make sure that we're like talking about things that are like relevant every once in a while. So I think there's a world in which if we didn't have this podcast, my recommendation to most people would be like, now is the time to just go to like, nzxt or whatever that website is and like buy a pre-made pc and like god of war ragnarok is going to launch on pc eventually go play it there like just play that when it comes out it'll have all of the dlc included it'll be like a complete package it'll be you know the same price as the original release was when it first came out uh and you'll probably be able to play it at higher resolution or with better frame rate etc etc there's gonna be a million and a half ways that it's better than if you had played it on the ps5 And like if Xbox and PlayStation are both investing in making sure that all of their games are launching on PC, then that is actually the best place to play. And then you just buy whatever the Nintendo thing is. And those are the two things that you have. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they've earned the right to ask me for $600 for another box under my TV again. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And I I don't think we're alone in that. Like, I don't want to start like any kind of angry response or anything, but it's just like... It's not even an anger thing. It's more, it's like, I, I, it's, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it makes my, I'm, I'm reflecting on my time with Astro's Playroom and I'm getting depressed because I remember playing that and. And I, I assume that I'm like, there's no way that half the library is going to utilize these features. For those who don't know, Astro's Playroom is a game that comes with the PS5. And it's essentially a tech demo, but it's a really good platformer. I would have loved a sequel to that, to be honest. I'll, we'll get that in eight years. There are rumors that there's one coming out this year, actually. I'm back. I'm a Sony fanboy. So I'm so <laughs> back $10, up. $10,000 is your bank account. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that game uh, is really just showcasing like everything with the ps5 controller so like you know there's a moment where like uh your little robot that you're controlling an umbrella sprouts on their head and it starts raining and you feel the raindrops on the controller and it's amazing it's yeah. so cool it rocks. and there were games like uh ratchet and clank rift apart where it was like every part of the game utilized the controller and yeah. again i assume that that wasn't going to be the case for every game but it it's really just been those games like Every now and then a game will use the feedback on the on the R2 and L2, the shoulder buttons. But like it, it it's it's makes me sad that it's like I feel like there was all this effort and talent and passion put into making this hardware be distinct and be something that could be designed around. But because because it has to have third party support and because like the games are going to be released for PC eventually, like I'm not saying I wish they were exclusives forever so I can get the full controller experience. But it's like if that's what you're marketing and what you're getting people excited about and then that just doesn't happen. Yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah. You know, it's similar. It's similar to to Sony's take on the uh, on PSVR 2, which like came out and just kind of like flopped immediately. Like it was like literally within a week i think there were there were uh sony press releases that were like we don't really have a lot of content plans for the psvr2 and everyone was like why did you even make it in the first place then if you're immediately gonna bail on it very strange very strange yeah but all that to say like i'm very curious to see how things shape up because i think overall we are 
again, ironically, in a really exciting time for video games. Like, yes. I think this is by all means a golden age for the actual games that are coming out. Yeah. I just think the hardware and business side of it is figuring itself out. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're in a very transitional period right now, yeah. right? Like I I think the assumption going into this generation was like, "Oh, look at the time. It's been 8 years. It's time for another box." And then they released yeah. some boxes, and I think we're now a couple of years into those boxes. And obviously, you know, it should be mentioned, the pandemic of it all definitely like changed of course. timetables pretty dramatically, but you know, we're like multiple years into these uh, boxes existing, we're gearing up towards the mid-cycle refresh at this point. And we know that there are plans in 2028 to have new boxes come out. And I think it's only at this point that like we as people who play video games and the people who make the video games and the people who make the boxes on which you make video games are all having this like societal understanding like, oh, maybe this just isn't the model forever. Like there's no world in which this can be the model forever, which does in some ways get back to what Xbox has been saying all along. It's like any screen is an Xbox, really. Any screen should be a PlayStation. I just don't think they've gotten there yet and they haven't invested in the infrastructure enough to really make that happen yet. And I think Nintendo is always going to do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> and that that is a constant. That will happen yeah. until the sun runs out of hydrogen. And I think the best Sony consoles, in my opinion, are the ones that have really active third party support and also have like really interesting new ideas. Like, you know, I think yeah. I think the PS1, especially just like there are so many weird games. I think in some ways, because Sony was trying to figure out what their brand was and meant that like you had all these bizarre, like just throwing ideas at the wall to see what sticks. Like yeah, totally. you had the kind of like, let's make a Mario Spyro crash and, and all that stuff. But then you also have like Parappa the Rapper and Final Fantasy seven. And it's yeah. like, what is happening? I think it's very easy to be nostalgic and to think that anything older is better. Um, I promise that's not what I'm trying to do here, but I, I just think like speaking about consoles, thinking about like when we do these console retrospectives, like are we ever going to do a PS5 episode? No, we just did. Like, you know, like it's just, it doesn't have that identity to it at all. Like, yeah, I love the games I played on it, but we're talking circles a bit. I think, I think, uh, I think the business side is just figuring itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, it's very strange that all of these stories kind of happened at the same time and they all kind of point in the same direction. And that's, that's why I wanted to talk about it here because I think in a couple of years, someone on Discord will message us about this episode and they'll be like, you guys are so fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the PS6 is going to be a Nintendo console and we're just wrong about everything. And it's going to be amazing. The P yeah, the PS6 is just like the the uh the target that that was easy button. Uh Yeah. But it just goes wahoo in the Mario voice. <laughs> just a wahoo button. It's like, "Wow, that was fun to press the wahoo button." It only cost $10. That's my thought. Those are all my thoughts about the news, Brendan. Thank Great. you for asking me and for your insight. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. I think we should wrap up because yeah. we sure do have another episode to record. We do. Yes, we do. I can't <laughs> wait to see what on earth that feels like. Do you want to leave people with a cliffhanger? Yeah, actually, yeah. I think maybe not. E let's not even sign off for this one. Let's just like maybe like leave uh, like wow, the yeah. sound of people leaving like a theater or something. You're oh, like, an actually, intermission noise. An intermission noise. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I don't know what an intermission noise is because it's usually a thing that shows up on the screen and says intermission. It's usually silent. But AJ, I trust you so much to figure out what figure an intermission, out what noise, intermission is. noise means.
coming up on the next episode of Into the Aether. Are you tired? Is it time for bed, you little baby? If you do enough of these objectives and you fill up the XP meter enough... The three civilians still alive need meat. The aha moment I had over the weekend while playing Persona 3... Speaking of city builders... Oh, let me flip a coin first. Mm-hmm.